Hi, everyone. Tim, could you come up? I asked him to come up and read to us this morning. And she's an amazing gal. Heads up the happy hour and our intercession team. And I just love her. And I just felt during worship she needs to start us off with this first scripture. Hallelujah. So it's 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience with your obedience is fulfilled. Awesome. Thank you, Sim. It's a wonderful verse. So we're going to do this today. I think uh, one, one of the... Th by the way, my wife's message last week. Man. I'm like, serious? We had a, a super sermon, and then we had a super bowl. Well, I'm not saying like <laughs> six, right? Like six. Yeah. Come on. If someone said the game was boring, I'm thinking, are you kidding me? A lot of the commentators, boring game is a boring game. It's like, are you kidding me? Every time Tom Brady threw a pass, I was sitting on the edge of my seat holding my breath. <laughs> nothing boring about that game at all. It's a great game. Um, so great message, great game, and uh, great. it's going to be a great week for my wife and I. She warned me, don't rub it in to the church that we're going to Cancun this week. Just See? That's a good thing, you know, you guys are celebrating our victory. It's awesome. I love it. Um, that, the scripture that uh, Simone read, uh, mainly one of the um, things that I'd like to really go after today, there's several things. We're going to look at some ideas and some thoughts that Christians have had over the years and people still believe. And we're going to kind of like just go after those things. And um, we used to be a part of a lot of these um, a lot of the misinformation of the gospel. And, and we used to embrace some things. I don't think there's anybody that's perfect yet. I know nobody completely has a perfect grasp on grace. But I love it when grace opens up because when grace opens up, we begin to see into heaven and we begin to realize just how beautiful the Lord is and how wonderful he is to all of us. And... Um, you know, taking the strongholds and stuff, over the years, we used to do all kinds of things here in this church. And in, in, uh, when we started in 88, we were uh, big proponents of taking down the devil and tearing down the territory. We, we felt very strongly that New England was a hard place. You know, in New England, there's a lot of hard things that go on here, and it's hard to the gospel and resistant to praise and worship and healing and that's why healings take place in other countries. They never take place here because there's so much resistance. The devil is fighting us so hard. And we used to sign right up for that stuff and believe it and swallow it hook, line, and sinker and just um, 
we would do all sorts of things to combat this thing. We had weird worship. <laughs> we, we, we had people that would come in with their worship team, and they'd do even weirder worship. And um, just all these concepts and ideas of what kind of a battle we're in. And the reason I love the scripture that Simone just shared, was because it reveals our battle. And it reveals that Jesus Christ won victory over the enemy. Got a few hands on that. That's good. And that's good news. That, that's, come on, that's better than a Super Bowl win. That's awesome stuff. And I mean, he won the victory. And so we started getting a revelation of grace and the finished work of the cross, and we started understanding he already did this. Our part is just to believe he did it and then walk that out by faith. And when that, ha- when that started happening, it started changing the way we saw things and the way we, we approached things and our perceptions begin to change. And we begin to just shift into an area that God really does like people. Because when, when we were believing that New England was a hard place, we were believing that a lot of these people were making it hard. Those guys, you know. And we lived out of an us and them mentality. And I'm just thankful that God does not have an us and them mentality that when he sent Jesus Christ to this earth, it was for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not God so loved a certain group in the world. Not God so loved the people who attend church, but the world. Now, he loves people that attend church, too. I'm, I, I'm, I love the church. I'm very clear about that. But I'm just here to tell you that our battle is not against an enemy, our battle is against thoughts. It's against strongholds that oppose the knowledge of God. That's our battle. It's not people, okay? It's not people. It's not those outside these walls. It's not those inside these walls. Now, I'm talking to the choir today. I understand that. But a lot of times the choir sings a little off tune. I've heard you guys. <laughs> We've all experienced that in choir. And there were, there were things that we did that were a little off tune, that we had to tweak and we had to change. And not to anybody's fault, whether it was my fault, uh, maybe it was my fault because I was the leader at that time, so I have to take a large part of the responsibility. But a lot of times... We would post intercessors at various places in the building, and we would tell them, eyes open, watch for any demonic stuff, and intercede against it. We're going back a long time ago. But once we realize, hey, if there is any demonic stuff in here, Jesus has got it covered. We don't have to go into that place. Our part is to go into the place of worship and praise and exalt the name of Jesus. And the same thing goes for outside these walls. It became such a great revelation to me when I realized that not everybody that's, you know, or, or not, not everybody, how should I, I'm getting fumbled up here. People that aren't saved are not demon-possessed. 
became a big revelation to me. Because I had the mindset that, hey, this area is hard. It's resistant. It's got to be demonic stuff. So imagine my shock when I started believing in the goodness of God and I started believing in the grace of God and suddenly my heart started changing towards people and I started having a different perspective of things. I started realizing that God loves people. You know, I'm a, I've, been, I've been doing this for 30 years as a preacher and I did it um, about six years before that. Since 1978, really, I've been in ministry. And I've been doing this for a long time. And you know, you get that holier-than-thou thing going on sometimes in your head. It's playing its tune to you, you know, like, you're driving on your way to church, and you're righteous, right? And you see somebody running out on the side of the road, and they're not going to church. And you get that little, they need to be in church, right? A little self-righteous thing going on inside your mind. It's like, you know what? Let go of that stuff. It's not worth hanging on to. And so imagine my shock when I'd be in the store, and before when I had the idea that people had demons and all that kind of stuff, and I, believe me, I didn't not for everybody, but there were certain people that I thought they, all right, <laughs> moving on. Imagine my shock when I'd be in the store and all of a sudden some guy just starts coming up and talking to me. I'm looking at meat. I'm in there to shop, grocery store. It's not a pleasurable experience. It's a thing out of necessity. I want to eat and I want to eat good meat. <laughs> it's that way. I am. And so I'm standing there, and I'm looking over the steak department, and all of a sudden, some guy comes up, and he just starts talking to me out of the blue. Now, I remember this so clearly. It was the first time it ever happened where it was a positive thing. Before that, I used to get a lot of negative encounters. When I believed that people were out of place, they weren't right with God, I used to get a lot of negative encounters. You get what you sign up for, really. You really do. I mean, I, when I was in that place of me feeling I was higher than everybody, that I had a greater revelation than everybody else had, and that I was really going somewhere with God, and it's like, I'm moving this thing forward and all this, and I had that idea that I was more special than everybody else. Well, you know, I used to get a lot of negative encounters, and it's not because I'm a bad guy, and it's not because I was ugly or anything like that. But they would just come my way. I remember one time just trying to do something nice for a lady one time. I was working on, on a door. It's when I worked at J&R Glass. And I was working on a door. And I saw this lady coming. Uh, you know, she had bags of groceries. And I moved my ladder out of the way. And I opened the door for her. And she stopped with the groceries in her hand and looked at me and said, I can open the door myself. <laughs> well, okay. Close the door and let her open the door. She could. She could actually do it. I was shocked. <laughs> negative encounters. I have not had a negative encounter with anybody in years since I started believing differently about people. I have positive encounters. Used to have negative encounters in church all the time. Oh, my gosh, in the mid-'90s did we have negative encounters. And most of it was around the teaching that we were doing, that there was a demon around every corner, and that we had to fight against him. We had to do the warfare. That kind of stuff just gets what you're looking for. And when you start understanding that we are saved by grace through faith, and that it is not of our effort, it's something that he's done. 
our perspective and our mentality begins to change. And we begin to grab a hold of his heart for people. We begin to grab a hold of the love. And then people start coming up to you and they want to have conversations with you. They want to talk to you while you're in the meat department. They want to talk to you when you're at Home Depot. They want to have a conversation. Imagine my shock when nobody knows I'm a pastor. I'm standing in the meat department. This guy comes up. He starts talking to me. And then the conversation turns to church. And then it turns to God. First time it happened. I'd lived in this New England area since 1977. So we're talking about maybe a 15 to 20 year span, the first time it happens that it's a positive encounter with someone. And I just went, this is cool. Somebody actually approached me and started a conversation. And it swung for a good way. Started with me, ended with God. I think he likes me. There are thoughts. <laughs> the thing I love about this scripture is that there are thoughts. There are thoughts in our mind that can easily hold back the promises of God from being fulfilled in our lives every day. We can have these things going on up here. There's always a factual reason behind these thoughts. There's always some fact that it lines up with. There's always some reason to have it. There can even be certain scriptures. You know, the devil's master at using scripture. Did you know that? He hits it through the thoughts. He's just, he's a master at it. You just will, you'll be reading the scripture and you'll be having a good day and all of a sudden you come up on a scripture and you hear a little condemning thought, uh-oh, they're in trouble now. And then you just want to skip ahead, right? Let's just fast forward that one. Or if you're glutton for punishment, you'll continue reading and you'll just go further down and down and down and down. He's a master at it. And it's like our battle, our battle is against these strongholds of thought, these things that try to hold us back. There are other thoughts, certain scriptures that we can believe that help support the thoughts. Like the big one today is the sovereignty of God. How many ever heard that argument? It must be God's will. Usually it's said whenever something goes the way we don't want it to. That must be God's will. We believe for someone to get healed and they, they don't get healed. Well, it must be God's will. Or we do this self-righteous thing. Oh, they must be in sin. Or they don't have enough faith. Or, I don't have enough faith. Whatever the thought, whatever the reason, it opposes the knowledge of God. The knowledge that he's given us about healing through his son Jesus. He showed us the will of God is to heal. And yet we can have all these thoughts that challenge that. They want to debate it with facts, experience, right? It's a big one. And yet these are the things that we take captive and subject them and submit them to the will of God. These are the thoughts and the ideas, anything that opposes the knowledge of God. We're here together as a group of people 
our vision for this church is that we believe what Jesus taught, that the will of God can actually manifest here on the earth and overcome the inconsistencies of why this earth was created. Overcome the inconsistencies of why we were created and why we were formed. I believe this firmly with my heart. And my experience hasn't gotten there yet. I haven't seen heaven come to the earth. But I'm telling you, with that telescope, I'm getting up into deep space <laughs> and bringing it down. You know, I just don't know why the sovereignty of God is always used when it's in a negative instance for us. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm going to be very, very clear about that. But I believe firmly that his sovereignty works towards our good. Our, his sovereignty works towards our good. And his good is our good. <laughs> Another thought that for years as believers, you know, we used to think, well, God, he thinks so different than us. His, his mind and his thoughts are so different than ours that surely if we have something good in our hearts... It's not the same good in his heart. So what have we done? We've elevated our goodness above his. He is good. He's always good. He's way, 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 way gooder. <laughs> his sovereignty works towards our good, and yet lies and thoughts bombard us when things don't go the way we want. Um, you know, we know about this stuff. We, we've experienced this, okay? We've experienced when things don't go the way we want. I still experience that a lot of times myself. Things just aren't happening the way I'd like to see them happening and moving the way I'd like to see them moving. I can either live in that experience of things aren't happening or I can live by faith and say things have happened. I can prophesy to my experience and say, line up, will you? You got, you got to line up. Line up to the word of God. I'm telling you, line up. All his promises are yes and amen. <laughs> I've got some good news for you guys. God is seeking what we're seeking. God wants to see healing break out in hospitals. He wants to see healing break out in our neighborhoods. He wants to see healing break out in our churches. He's interested in healing. He's interested in salvation. Greek word sozo, it means salvation for the entire person. Body, mind, and spirit. I mean, what is it, you know, the believer walks away in, in despair and says, well, it must not be God's will for that person to be healed or that person to be saved. What really is it? I mean, is it like disappointment? Is it like a, a multiple of experiences that don't line up with it? What is it that produces that thought? Whatever it is, we're told to take it captive. We're told to subject it to the obedience of Christ. We're told to oppose those things which oppose the knowledge of God, to go after those things, to take them out. I mean, do we really, do we really think that 
Maybe if we ask God to do something that goes our way, do we really think we might be asking him too much? I mean, do we think like it's too big for him, like it's too much? It must not be his will. What is that? Let me, hey, Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our Father. You ever think about that? I mean, we repeat this prayer so much, but he said, our Father. Do we actually think that as children of a good, gracious, loving Father that we may have asked amiss? Do we actually think that about ourselves? Do we think that maybe we asked for something outside of the will of God when we were believing for someone to be raised from the dead? When we were believing for our daughter to be raised from the, God, from the dead? Do we actually believe that we were asking something outside of God's will? No. What about the lie about timing? Isn't God's timing? That's a, that's a little more spiritual thing. Well, it must not be his timing. Like, when is it not his timing? When is it ever not God's timing to do something good? A lot of these things that, that hold us back in the faith are thoughts that we've entertained somehow, whether through a teaching or whether through an experience. There's something that we've entertained. They've got some sort of fact to back them up, but they absolutely do not have truth. And there's a difference between fact and truth. And the truth is found in God's word. And the truth is lived by faith. A couple of weeks ago, I posted on my Facebook, faith is. Those are the two words that I just used. I just said faith is. I got all kinds of comments as to what faith was. It was funny. I wasn't even looking for comments. But there were, people were trying to finish the sentence. And it was like, faith is, man. That finished the sentence for me. That's all I needed. Faith is. <laughs> My good friend Mario's uh, uh, Alanis, who's just an incredible guy, you know, he, he said he was, uh, he was up in heaven with the Lord one day, and the Lord appeared to him and said, uh, showed him somebody, the person that was standing next to the Lord. And Jesus said, this is faith. Faith is a spirit. Faith is a living entity. Faith is. <laughs> now, this, what's so ironic about that is if, you're, if you've been in church for any certain amount of time in a different church or wherever, you could hear something like that and all sorts of warning lights go off in your head. Oh boy, this is getting weird. Faith isn't a spirit. Faith is a thing. And yet, you can have something go bad in your life and blame God and say it must have been his will. And you get no warning lights. That makes sense. I told, oh, I'm glad the lid was on. I told you guys I'm going to challenge some thoughts here today. And I feel it's important because I feel that where we're going as a, a church, I mean, I love what Lynn talked about, expansion and about the, the growth and the stretching. You know, stretching is never fun. I, you know what? I used to think change was a really good thing. As long as somebody else is called to change. 
But stretching, it's not that fun. I mean, there's an, there's an experience of going outside of yourself. You're, you're going outside your comfort zone. You're going outside that place where it's, it's just right. And there's this stretching that's going on. And I've been stretched so much. I feel like, God, I don't know if I can even expand anymore. And yet, my wife just told me I can And when your wife tells you you can, you know you can. <laughs> there is a faith which believes that God is always good to us and that what we consider is good, he considers good. And all things come, all good things come from the Father of lights. All good things come from the Father's lights. And if there's an experience that we've had where we've asked God for something and, and we've experienced the opposite, and then we just walk away with just this little less of a hope, this little less of a faith, this little less of a belief, if we walk away with just that little less, we're starting to move into a down, downhill spiral of lack. And it's a terrible thing to live with lack. It's a terrible thing when we as believers sign up for any kind of lack, whether it's financial or whether it's physical, even if it's spiritual. And what we have to do is catch ourselves because I love something Bill Johnson used to say. He says, it only takes me about 15 seconds to get myself depressed. All I have to do is just start following the wrong thought. It's just for all of us. We have to catch ourselves. This is part of the, the thing, you know, our, our battle, right, is against these thoughts that oppose the knowledge of God. And we arrest these things. We say, no, this isn't part of, this isn't part of who we are as sons of God. We've been given every spiritual blessing. Mark chapter 7, I, I'm just going to go after this for just a little bit. Not going to have a long sermon today because got to pack. <laughs> Heard there's a snowstorm coming Tuesday, by the way. Ha! Oh, I'm being ornery. Oh, my gosh. I can't do that. That's the last of it. Okay, I'm done. Uh, Mark 7, verse 24. From there he arose and went to a region of Tyre, or Tyre, and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted, uh, wanted no one to know of it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. I still, I, I, I still don't get that, okay? Except for, I'll comment on it when I'm finished reading here. And she answered and said to him, Lord, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter laying on the bed. See, 
Jesus calls these guys to him, right? He's in a Jewish culture, his Jewish community. He calls 12 guys to follow him. They were from all walks of life, a variety of men. They had been raised in the same culture that Jesus was raised in, the Jewish culture. And in that culture of his day, the Jewish culture, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. And everybody outside of that chosen group were Gentiles. They were the, the outsiders, the outcasts. And this is the day that Jesus lived in. He lives in this time where there is a stereotype and there was a mindset that prohibited people from inclusion. They were secluded. They're a nice little group. Secluded. Jesus calls these guys to him and suddenly things begin to change before their eyes. Their little world of seclusion begins to unfold as a world of inclusion. They begin to see that others are included in this. They begin to witness an inclusion like they've never seen before. And they begin to see Jesus go out and do miracle upon miracle upon miracle upon miracle. He did things that blew their minds, blew their thought patterns apart. He performed healing on the sick, the outcasts, the unclean. And those per performed miracles were exposing something Inside of that culture, they were exposing this bias and this prejudice that existed. And he's performing, he, he's touching people that he shouldn't have touched. And people that shouldn't have touched him are touching him. And yet, miracles are happening because God's love was invading. And the Lord was trying to show his followers, they were trying to teach them and show them, you have got to get out of this stinking culture. This culture stinks. This thing that we have been taught, this thing that we grew up learning. You remember Jesus was 12 years old when he was in the temple and he was teaching the rabbis. He was there in that place learning all of this teaching. And somewhere along the line in his life, he began to realize what I've been taught isn't lining up with what God has shown me. It's not lining up with the Father's will. The law specifically said, touch no unclean thing. The law specifically said, these are my people, my chosen people. Those outside are the outcasts, the enemy. The law specifically spelled that out. But grace comes along through Jesus, and he begins to include, and he begins to, to do miraculous things for the unclean and for those who didn't deserve it. And he's showing his followers a lesson. He's saying, this is the Father's will. This is his pattern. This is where he's at. This is where we're going. We are going this direction because it's what God is showing us. And so he tells this woman, you're outside of, you're outside. You're not in with us, right? You're a dog. It's not right to give the bread to the dogs. And it might sound like harsh language, and it is harsh language, except for if it was really what he believed, he would not have provided what she asked. I believe the reason he uses these words is he's speaking to them in their culture. He's showing his followers of his culture. This is where the father's at. Watch this, you guys. You watch what daddy does here. Take a look at the goodness of God going into a place of someone who doesn't deserve it. 
You watch this. <laughs> I think what's so exciting is the woman. She just gets called a dog. She just, I mean, maybe she's used to it. Definitely among the Jews. She's used to being called all sorts of bad names because their mindset was she's bad. She's evil. She's got something wrong with her. She's a Gentile. She's not accepted by God. She's, she's an outcast. The whole mindset has just been taught and taught and taught until they're just living it. It's just normal for them. But for Jesus and his love. <laughs> oh. And she just says, um, hey, well, maybe so, maybe so, mister. Maybe so, Mr. Jesus. But my daughter has a demon. My daughter has a demon. And mister, I'm not leaving until you deal with it. I love her persistence. She just gets insulted. And an insult doesn't stop her faith. And Jesus knew it before it happened. And he wanted to show his followers not to insult, but he wanted to show his followers this thing that we've had, this mindset that we've had against these people, Father's bringing it to a close. It's over. It's ending. Watch what he does. I don't know. I, I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook right about now. I've been on Facebook for too long, I think. So I've, I've really just have this love-hate relationship with it. it. In one sense, I like it. In another sense, I don't like it. But there's one thing that just, it just gets me really bad is when Christians act like people are dogs because they don't line up with their belief system. Well, enough said on that. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're not going that way. I really, truly believe God so loved the world. In all its corrupt forms, in all its imperfections, God loves the world. In all their imperfections, in all their corrupt forms, God loves people. He is always interested in people. I'm really excited. I'm going to prophesy something right now that, that might not sound like a, lot, a prophecy to a lot of you, but I'm going to prophesy something right now to the gay and lesbian community. Miracles and signs and wonders are going to begin to break out in the gay and lesbian community. I believe it with, my, with all my heart. And I guarantee you that when it starts happening, Christians are going to say it's of the devil. I grew up in the church. I remember as a young boy when it was thought that because the Holy Spirit fell on Catholics, it must be demonic. Oh, yeah. 
when Catherine Coleman came on the scene. Charismatic revival, and Catholics would show up in their meetings, and Lutherans would show up in their meetings, and all the various mainline denominations would show up in their meetings, and people would get healed. There were Christians saying, it's of the devil. God would never heal a Catholic. (laughs) Because that would be him approving their false doctrine. God forgive us for the stupid things that we... I mean, Jesus is showing these guys, all this prejudice, all this stuff that we've been taught, all of these lies, they're lies. They're thoughts that we are going to challenge. My dad and I are on the scene, and we're going to put an end to this. And he's showing these guys because when he goes, when he dies and is resurrected and ascends unto the Father at the right hand of God, when that takes place, these guys are the ones going to be left to change the world. And if they're going to change the world, they're not going to be able to change it in their old culture. They're going to have to have a new mind, a new heart, and a new attitude, and a new power. Glory, God. The reason he's showing that, you, did, you, did you ever notice this about the gospel? That Jesus never did anything alone. He always had his followers with him. Do you know why? Because he was teaching them synergy. The only thing he did alone was die on the cross. And even then, there were three that were watching. He was teaching them synergy. He was telling them, you guys, when you get together, and you get together around the will of God coming here to this earth, and you get together around uh, healing manifesting on this earth, you get together around salvation manifesting on this earth, When you get together, a synergy begins to happen. Synergy is simply joining together to accomplish what one cannot accomplish on their own. It's joining together so that a group can accomplish something. This is why Jesus died. He died to destroy the works of the devil. And he died to empower us as sons of God to partner with his kingdom while we're here on this earth. Synergy. You've heard me preach multiple times. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Synergy. We have so much power inside of us. Water walking power. Two weeks ago, I was talking to the Lord, and I told the Lord, I want to be a sign and a wonder. I want to preach walking on the air. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, that is, you know. But it's only because I'm partnering with the supernatural God. I I want my life to go beyond words I want the power. I don't know about you, but I think people would come to watch a preacher walking on air. I don't know. Word like that gets around, you know. You say, that's too, oh, you shouldn't pray things like that. That's asking a miss. Well, I don't know. I don't think it's asking enough. 
It's like, I mean, seriously, beyond our imagination is what we get. I was able to imagine it. Childlike, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Foolish, isn't it? Well, that could be a fact, but I don't know how true it is. Arrogant? Yeah, that's what David got blamed for when he went to fight Goliath. I'm believing for greater things. I'm believing for signs and wonders and miracles that are going to blow the doors off of New England. I just can't wait. I'm excited about what's coming. I'm excited also about what's here. Ephesians chapter 2, Therefore remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. <laughs> Here's the dog word. Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus who were famous for idolatry. He's saying, just remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But... Now, in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. You see that? It's an, it's an inclusion. Not just to preach to those who were far away, but also those who are near. Not just to love those on the outside, but also those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Synergy. Christ in us and us having faith and walking by faith and bringing about his will.
I think it just takes a humility to believe great things. It just takes a humility. It just takes a recognition. You know what? I myself, I could never walk on air any more than I could walk on the water. I myself. But I don't live by myself. I live by faith in Jesus Christ. And I walk by faith in Jesus Christ. And I feel like I could just walk on air right now. Possibilities are endless. What is it? You want to preach to stadiums? Preach to stadiums. You want to see your workplace completely converted and turned to Jesus Christ? See your workplace converted and turned to Jesus Christ. But do me a favor. Don't go armed with law and religion. Go armed with grace and peace that surpasses all understanding. Go armed with the power of Jesus Christ. Walk into your work. Someone recently sent me a message, a Facebook message, and they said, do you know of any good churches in my area? Because none of the churches are spirit-filled around here. So I sent back a message, and I said, if you walk into a church, it will immediately become spirit-filled. But believe for the big things. Just believe. It's all, it's about what we're seeing. And it's about who we're looking at. And it's about going for things that are outside of us and pulling them into us. Now what we're, what we're creating here, what we're, what we're creating here in this building is a group of people who will actually believe for the greater things of God because together we can accomplish more for our region than any individual will ever be able to accomplish. Together, in unity, united in the will of God, in the heart of the Father, united together, we can do more than any individual could ever possibly do for our region. You want to see atmosphere shift? Believe for the great things of God. You'll see atmosphere shift. You want to see dead places come to life? Do like Elijah and speak life. Believe for life. Prophesy to the dry bones. It's why time and time again I have challenged the idea that New England is a dry, hard place. I can't stand that kind of talk. And all I've ever witnessed from coming out of that kind of talk is a group of people that believes that. And the more they believe that, the less synergy they have to bring change. Prophesy, man. Go for it. See something in faith and prophesy to that thing. If it's an obstacle, move it out of the way. Faith is a mustard seed moves mountains. Faith is a mustard seed moves thoughts. Oh, man, let's stand up together. You guys are so amazing.
I just wonder, and I, I, I was sensing this before the service this morning, so I'm just going to release this for, for what this is. But I'm just wondering here, if you're here this morning and you've never really encountered the love of God, you know about God and you know who he is, and maybe you've been in church for a long time, and maybe you've been a, a Christian for a long time, but if you're here and you've never really felt his presence, you've never encountered his love, you've never really sensed that he's with you to, to talk with you, maybe it's been a long time since you've heard him speak to you. I'm going to speak something over your life today. And if your heart is open to the Lord to receive something good is going to happen to you in this moment. I don't know who you are, and that's not what this is about. This is not about raise your hand or anything like this. This is about how much God loves every single person in this room, and it's about an encounter that he's about to have in your life that's going to change your life forever. Father, I just release your spirit right now over this house. I release your goodness, your love, your mercy your kindness and your compassion to come now. Settle on every heart. Those who are far and those who are near. Come, Holy Spirit. Change lives. I prophesy life. I prophesy power. I prophesy faith. I prophesy healing. I prophesy health. I prophesy greatness over this house for an increase, for a level of spiritual dimension that we have not yet come into, I prophesy and see the things that you have destined for this house. Recall the words that have been spoken over this house that stretch us beyond our wildest dreams and our imaginations. And we speak those words, Lord, right now, and I just call, it, call forth your spirit to invade those in this place who have never tangibly experienced you. Invade their hearts right now, Lord. Open up minds. Open up hearts. Open up experience. Amen. Before Bob comes, I just want I want more one more. Oh man, that got me drunk. I don't know about you. Maybe that was a prayer for me and nobody else. I don't know, but that just woo.
Well, that just got me into a good place right there. Um, so now I, uh, th- th- this morning, by the way, when Jeremy said his voice was sore and he led the way he led, I just went, oh, <laughs> to do that with a sore throat, wow, incredible. Anyway, I want to just, I, I'm going to say something because this is something I've been on a track for many years now, and when I first said it, I remember how stupid it sounded. Because it really did sound stupid. When I first started recognizing the authority, I know you guys, I'm having them stand, and, and, but I'm, this is going to be fast, okay, fast. When I first started recognizing the authority that I had in Christ, when I first started recognizing the exousia, the, the whole teaching that we do on exousia, I begin to understand that Jesus Christ lives in me, and Jesus has never had a sick day in his life. And I remember when I caught that thought, the thought just hit me, and I went, oh yeah, Jesus has never had a sick day in his life. And I remember both spring and fall getting sick for the entire time of my adult life. From the age of 21 to, I think it was probably about four or five years ago that I really started to go after this, maybe a little bit longer. But I remember saying, if Jesus never gets sick, then I never get sick. You guys remember me saying that? That was really weird, huh? It sounded weird to me when I said it, too. It really did. And, I mean, I was far from that pattern, but I began to speak that over my life. And so uh, I've had instances where I'll wake up with a scratchy throat, and the first thing I do when I wake up with a scratchy throat is say, I don't get sick. You guys are like the choir. I'm telling you, that's amazing. Anyway, because there's a lot of uh, whatever going around at this time, just walk with that in your heart. Challenge those thoughts. Sickness starts with a thought. Challenge the thoughts before it hits. And don't sign up for it. Sign up for healing. Bob.